Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Liverpool.com podcast. I am your host, Mo Stewart, and I'm joined by James Martin and Charlotte Coates. And this week's subject is inspired by Liverpool's comfortable win against Crystal Palace at the weekend, and specifically how Liverpool got that win, because all three goals came from set pieces. And if you look into the data, as I have been able to, thanks to the great work of everybody's favourite stats guy, Andrew Beasley, resident of this parish. Liverpool, if you look at the stats, are supposed to be very good at set pieces. In fact, we're the best, according to the stats. If you go back to the start of 2018-19, we scored 11 more goals than anybody else. And only two teams have conceded fewer than us. And yet, I think we can all remember watching games throwing our hands up in the air in frustration about set pieces that hit the first man or that hit someone in the back of the cop or just they don't look as good. So I wanted to do a deep dive into this and find out, are we that good? If so, why? And can we get better? So, James, I want to start with you by kind of setting the table in terms of set pieces because set pieces themselves, they've got a little bit of a strange relationship with a lot of fans. I mean, they are the kind of thing that everybody does. And so by that rationale, they're often dismissed as the kind of thing that teams do when they can't really score a goal in any other method. But they are very important to football, aren't they? For sure. Oh, yeah, 100%. There's definitely some misunderstandings around them as well. Like, there's so many people who, like you were talking about, when it hits the first man, like the, the instinct is to be frustrated by it. But that it's, it's reached a point where people getting annoyed by it now annoys me because it's just like... <laughs> When it hits the first man, it's because it's close to being the perfect set piece. Like you want to get it right in that area just past the first man. So it's not like they can't float one into the middle. It's just that the ideal corner is kind of, you know, it's in quickly towards the the front post for someone to get that flick on. So, yeah, it's it is one of the kind of more maligned areas of the sport, if you like. There's people like to be annoyed about them or or write them off when yeah, as we'll see when we dive into uh, to Andrew's stats, there's definitely big benefits to be reaped from them. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's a tricky one because it's it does feel like it's the last resort, but especially when you're as dominant a team as Liverpool, likely to have a lot of the ball, be pushing forward, you're going to get a lot of them. So mm. it just makes sense to focus on them, to find ways of making the most of them, and there's there's no shame in it. It's it's not. I mean, they all count the same, don't they? It's the old cliche, <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, I mean, a goal's a goal. And when you have that many set pieces, you've got to find a way to capitalise. I mean, they were good enough for Liverpool on Saturday, Charlotte, weren't they? And uh, James makes a really good point. There are going to be lots of times where teams come to frustrate Liverpool and maybe we're not going to be able to be at our best every single week. So in those games, if we can be good at the good things, the, the marginal gains, as they call it, then it really can make a difference in turning some of those one points into three points over the course of a season. Yeah, exactly. Like what we saw in the in the Chelsea game when we drew one one, like we had pretty much all the ball in the second half, couldn't couldn't create anything, couldn't break anyone down. And then that's where your set pieces couldn't come into play. You can just you can nick a goal. Um and it's often what the lesser sides in the league, it's what you often associate them with where you think, oh, but the dangers from set pieces, like if it's if it's tight going late into the game, might get a corner. And then you feel the anxiety in the crowd and like, wherever you're watching, where if it's nil-nil and it's late on and someone gets a corner, like that anxiety just builds because mm. 
like a lot a lot of the lower teams like they, they work on them a lot and you don't really associate it with the better teams in the Premier League because you just think that they can pass through teams but the real top top sides they can they can do it all they really can do it all and if you look back to Liverpool in the rampant title winning form James that was something that we did very well and then you look at last season where everything kind of seemed to fall away and there was 26 games in all competitions where they didn't score a set-piece goal. 26 in a row from the 7-0 game against Palace to the 4-2 win at Old Trafford. And they took 91 set-piece shots without scoring in that period. And I think I cursed every single one. So it, the, the, the set-piece mojo does look like it's returning from the numbers from this season already then that's another marker towards Liverpool getting their title-winning form back, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how everything fell off a cliff in that run. Like, just every sort of stat you find, it seems to point to the collapse. It's like, oh, well, you know, Nat Phillips is coming in as a centre-back. So, you know, he's a old school. He'll probably still pose that threat from set-pieces. There's no particular reason why that should have fallen off. But then it did, just because every, everything went wrong at once. It was just one of those situations where... Nothing seemed to be working for, you know, a multitude of reasons. Um, and yeah, I mean, 91 in a row with, with no reward is, is a tough break. And yeah, it was definitely that frustration was was felt keenly by all of us. Um, and yeah, like you say, promising signs early on that, that everything's back in working order. I know Van Dijk hasn't scored from one yet, but he's, even his presence is disrupting defences. That plays a part, no doubt about it. Um, I don't know if he was technically credited with the assist for the Salah one, but he was heavily involved. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Cater one, you know, it's a bit harsh to say that's from a set piece because, you know, <laughs> it's come out and he just walloped it top pins. But, um, yeah, it's all it's all part of it. It's keeping things alive, keeping the disruption there. So, yeah, it's, it's mean, this is This is an interesting point, though. I was, I was kind of going to get onto it later, but we've got the in now, so let's go for it. Um, so many of Liverpool's set piece goals at the moment are what we call second phase or third phase goals. Like the last time a ball came in from a set piece directly connected with a Liverpool player, either their foot or their head, and went straight into the goal was Alisson. And we've scored <laughs> 10 set piece goals since then that are all second and third phases. And it maybe looks like that's not in the plan, but maybe it is in the plan. This is what I'm thinking because we've seen Jurgen Klopp look at marginal gains so much. We've seen it with the throwing coach, with Thomas Gronemark, who's actually started to make an improvement in our ability to retain the ball from throw-ins, which helps us create pressure, which helps score goals. And it's the same with corners. If you can keep that pressure on, once the initial ball's been cleared, so many times you see defences let their guard down. But if we can recycle the ball, reset and get back in when the, when the play is a bit more fractured, Charlotte, this is where there's a bit more space and we've got finishers like Salah and Mane who can be able to take advantage. Yeah, exactly. It comes to it comes down to concentration, doesn't it, for the the opposition defence because you clear the corner and you think, oh, like, the danger's over now. Um, but then it's who are you clearing the corner to? You, you, you get in the likes of Salah, Mane, whoever it is on the ball. Often it's quite, it, it drops to Henderson quite a bit on the edge of the mm -hmm. box. And he's able to put a cross in, and then you've got you you creating space for, like you said, someone like Salah. They're not they're not going to miss when they're inside the box. So it is it's concentration, and you see it a lot with when when we play against the sides that 
aren't you Chelsea's or your Man City's where mm. gaps are created, players are going back into the positions and then you get you get your likes of Salah going in going in between the gaps and finding space. Yeah, and that's the perfect way when you've got three kind of fours with predatory instincts who can sniff out that space at a late time in broken play. I mean, obviously, when you've got a goalkeeper coming up for a Kiluna, that obviously creates the same kind of madness and the same kind of space, but there are different ways of doing it, as we've shown. Now, <clears throat> one of the absolute keys to any good set piece is a delivery. And we have seen on occasion both our fullbacks, Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson, put in excellent deliveries that are absolutely begging to be crushed into the net. But again, I think this is one of those situations where, as I said, we can remember the good ones, but I think a lot of us can remember the times when it doesn't go well. So, James, I'll ask you this. Is this something whereby we should be expecting more from them? Or do we think two good corners out of 10 in a match that produces one shot on goal per match is that about average? Is that what we should be expecting? Well, again, it ties into my kind of bugbears about corners because I, <laughs> I even a lot of the ones which everyone is saying are bad corners, I'm not convinced they are. Um, some, of course, you get some stinkers. There's no, there's no two ways about it. Particularly Robertson, who's I mean, credit to him, he's worked on that side of his game and he's very much a, a viable option to take corners now. But it's not in his natural skill set, and you do get somewhere. It's like that is an absolute shocker. He definitely prefers a moving ball to strike, um, yes. which which Liverpool fans will accept that trade off, considering he hits them so so well in open play. So you know, it, it's, it's not the end of the world. But um, yeah, I don't think Liverpool uh, by any means underperforming in terms of the uh, the number of good quality deliveries from set pieces coming in. And I mean, the stats from from Andrew kind of bear that out, don't they? In the mm -hmm. sense that if you're getting consistently poor deliveries, you're not going to be topping all of these charts in terms of goals from set pieces. So, yeah, it's just a perception thing as much as anything, just because every time there's a set piece, it feels like, oh, this is a chance. Here we go. Maybe this is the way we break the deadlock. And just the nature of the beast is that it comes in these frustrating games a lot of the time where we can't find the way through. So it's like, come on, this is the one. So then whenever it's not, it feels like a failure. You want to look at the delivery and say that could have been better. Yes. Whereas, yeah, if you actually look at it logically and look at the numbers, I think, if anything, we're blessed with two extremely strong set-piece takers. We are. And I think James's point here, really, Charlotte, is that you can't really expect perfection in this area because people have been trying to use set-piece as well since the dawn of football. And yet there are no team who are automatic, who every single time, because by the nature of it, putting a ball into a crowded area, lots of players, it's kind of hard to control. So I think, as James mentioned, we've got great set-piece takers and we are doing it better than everybody else. I think if you look at the luck involved in it, sometimes it can be having just a player in a great run of form. I think if you look at the stats from the 13-14 season, we scored 20 set-piece goals in the Premier League. And you can bet that that was mainly down to Steven Gerrard, Luis Suarez and Martin Skirtle. Now, I'd like to think that we've got a few guys who can pull off the odd Skirtle, but we haven't necessarily seen it that much yet, have we? No. Um, yeah, I was thinking about that earlier with uh, when you mentioned set-piece delivery. And obviously, I think maybe they're coming for a bit of criticism because we had Gerrard in the past where his delivery, it, it was ridiculous, weren't it? Like, I can't seem to be, every, everyone was just on the spot. So, 
yeah, it is unfair criticism that really. But yeah, it's tough. Even with Van Dyke, where he's so big and he, he's such a presence, but it's hard. That team's focus on that, so it's not just one man marking him. So it's hard for him. You see, where when he created havoc in the uh, the Palace box when Salah scored, there was about four men hanging off him. <laughs> yeah. um, so it, it's hard for him. It's like when 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 we went away to the Allianz and, and was and he scored then. Like he's got Max Hummels hanging off him. He's got someone else, but the delivery's spot on. So. Obviously, if it's like that, when he, he can get open, he can he can tower above everyone, but it can't always happen. So no. if he's able to just disrupt it a little bit and then it drops in the box, then anything can happen. Anything can happen, including a penalty, because James, some of the times when they're hanging off him, Charlotte's not even you making use of him. She's being serious. They are literally hanging off of him, trying to DDT him and all kinds. <laughs> and because he's so big, it's almost as if... He, they get away with this kind of thing for free. And I don't know about you, but it's one of the things that I always think, if I was Virgil, I would just say to a referee, look, come on, I know I can take it, but these are still technically fouls here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's words can't really describe how irritating it is. It's like, <laughs> these are just obviously fouls. Like, probably at 50% of corners, he's getting fouled in the box. But how many times out of them do you get a penalty? It's, it's one in a hundred, if that, I mean... Uh, we actually, I mean, at least it's vaguely consistent in that they don't really get given against anyone. It's not just the whole, mm. he's so big, he gets, like, people can get away with more sort of situation. Um, there was one given at the weekend, I think it was in the uh, the Wolves game, where um, Mark Al was hanging on to his man, yes. but it's it's a uh, rarity. Yeah. It's a rarity. You don't but see that, that too took much. a full rugby tackle with both arms, James. <laughs> that kind of proves the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, definitely. I mean... That's how blatant it has to be for it to even stand the chance of getting given. And even then, I've seen that happen to Van Dyke without the spot getting pointed to by the refs. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's annoying. But I I do at least think it's an annoyance for most teams. Mm. So, it's not something I'm gonna you know stay awake at night over. But yeah, it's 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 definitely hindering our ability to score even more set pieces. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, hopefully in the VAR era, the more time that goes by, the more chance we are of getting those get back. But one of the things, one of the reasons why teams are so fixated on Virgil is that we aren't necessarily the tallest team in the Premier League. It's, it's strange. I mean, it was really noticeable for me when I was at the match uh, the weekend at uh, Crystal Palace. And you see the lineup and you see Allison, and then you see Van Dyke, and then you see Canate. And then you see Fabinho, then you see Henderson, and then it's the rest. Like, there are eight players at Liverpool Football Club above six foot in height. Now, three of them are goalkeepers and four of them are centre-backs. So that means we're only really ever going to get four of them at a pitch at any one time, Charlotte. And only three of them can really be attacking a corner if we assume Alisson isn't going to come up every time. So we've kind of got to have this situation where... Virgil's just a spoiler and we're picking up scraps elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. Like when um, in the in the first goal against Palace where Salah, he got the header on, didn't he? Um, and obviously that was, it, it must have been worked out of the way because obviously delivery was a bit bit shorter, weren't it? And a bit flatter. Uh, so Salah makes that run, gets the head and then obviously Mane puts it in. So using Virgil as a distraction is, it's got, it's got to be something Liverpool do. And when, 
I know it's a lot when when Matic plays. He seems to get free and find like get a header on or get a shot. But I mean, he doesn't often score, but it creates it creates like that's where the goal came from against Chelsea. Well, mm-hmm. the penalty where he he heads it on against crossbar. But um, teams are just so fixated on Van Dijk. And then you look at Canate. He, is he bigger than Van Dijk? Um, so it's going to be interesting if he gets a run in the team. How will teams mark him? How will mm-hmm. like, how do you mark Van Dijk as well? So yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Just I think. To, sorry, sorry, Mike. Like just sorry. to briefly jump on the, that point about the first goal with the Salah flick on Fermane. I think that's the perfect illustration of what I was getting at earlier as well. In the sense that if that had been cleared away at the near post, which it, it could have been. Everyone's going to be bemoaning the corner and say that's yep. a terrible delivery. What you're doing, mm. but then when it works, it, it, that's what happens. It can it can lead to the goal. So, sorry, just Definitely. pushing that agenda there. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Honestly, you push it as far as you have. I mean, so far in the podcast weeks, most of your hot takes have kind of gone a little bit lukewarm. <laughs> cough, cough, Leeds United. So I'm going to let you have one where it's strong. That's fair enough. And also, I think something that that goal showed was that the middle of the goal isn't always the best place to put the ball. I think in that instance, what you had was Salah making a late run around the back of the crowd of defenders, and he just got to that space at the right time. So therefore, you can be a bit more creative when it comes to taking them. Okay, I think we should look at the other side of uh, set pieces now in terms of defending them, because Liverpool, again, are very good at doing this. And... As I mentioned before, only Manchester City and Spurs since the beginning of 2018-19 have conceded fewer goals and set pieces than us. But, Charlotte, well, I was looking at these numbers and Andrew's numbers go all the way back to 2009-2010. And there's a very distinct line. It's not so much AD and BC as uh, BVVD. Uh Every season before the arrival of Virgil van Dijk, we've conceded in double figures goals from set pieces. The only season we've conceded double figures of set pieces since was the season where he missed most of the game. So I think as much as they can say a lot about what contributes to their offensive work, I think defensively, it's kind of staring us all in the face, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean... I remember before we signed him. Every time, every time we we had a corner against us, I was just thinking, well, it, it just wasn't very nice to watch, was it? Because you just expected it to go in. Um, but now they get a corner, and Van Dijk's there, and you just feel this assurance that he's going to get his head to it somehow. Um, like we do that, it's like a half zonal system that we do, isn't it? Where mm-hmm. I think we've got the three on the six yard box, and he often tends to be the back of the three, which. At first, I used to think, like, why would you not just have him either at the front or in the middle, like, where where he's, he's going to be, like, you'd think the ball would drop there more. But I think it allows him to get a bit of a run on the ball mm-hmm. and see it more. Um, so, yeah, you just think it looks like a perfect delivery in at times and then you, you almost see a defender rise and set it in and up pops Virgil just clears it like like he's been sent from heaven for us but <laughs> no, it's a really good point actually because the reason why he does that as well I think is because for people who are making late runs like the one I mentioned from Salah he's the man organizing he's the one telling everyone what to do so he needs to be in a position where he can see those late runs and match them and he's got great speed and obviously we all know about his heading away ability but the organisation is a big part of it as well, isn't it, James? I mean, 
in the times when he is going to be rotated out of the side, as we saw midweek against AC Milan, we had Matip and Gomez together, who are both good defenders, but neither of them are natural organisers of a defence. So it is going to be one of those times where when we are playing without Virgil, we are going to have to be sure that we have got our um, organisation strategy in place. Yeah, I mean, I think you've both done a better job than I will of dissecting that kind of organisation. For me, when we're defending set pieces, it just kind of feels like this sort of ancient magic in in work. Like you've got, you've got Trent and Robbo just randomly swap sides. I don't think anyone has really proffered a reason as to why that's no. a good idea, but it, it seems to be working. So I just like I just go along with it. I was like, cool, we're not conceding many set piece goals. That's nice. I'm not even going to attempt to understand the the wizardry that Klopp has put in place. But um, yeah, it's of course Virgil is a big part of it, and mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. There has to be that sort of planning in place. The strategy comes even more to the fore when you don't just have this absolute colossus who can kind of throw strategies out the window and get the ball away, just regardless. Mm. So, yeah, it's it's definitely worthy of work on the training ground. I'm sure it's something that is worked on a lot, you, like you pointed out at the top of the show. I mean, marginal gains is the name of the game with Klopp and with Liverpool and with FSG. So, yeah, I mean, I'm confident that that work has gone in behind the scenes, but definitely mm. Van Dijk plus strategy is, is the two big reasons. Um, yeah. Well, to bring it back to those kind of marginal gains and the work behind the scenes, um, James Pearce, when he did his piece in The Athletic over Liverpool's pre-season, he, he flagged up something that we were doing with a company called Neuro11, which involves uh, wearing headsets to kind of track your neural receptors and your neural activity. So you can create a map of your neural activity so you know how you react to certain situations and you can predict things and you can maybe increase your uh, reaction times and make things become more natural. So you can consistently put that ball where you need to put it for a time after time after time. The fact that, I mean, they've put some video out of the Charlotte and it looks like they're training, but it does look like they're wearing modified versions of the things that they used to hold your eyes open in the Clockwork Orange. But Liverpool aren't afraid of looking stupid in the pursuit of further gains, are they? And that's one of the things I loved about this team. No, no. Um, and I remember a couple, it might have been not last pre-season, the one before that, where they were... Uh, they had a surfer in, didn't they? And they were like holding their breath on the water and all that yes. sort of stuff. And like to obviously you're going through pressurized moments there. So just being able to like we don't have the spending power of a Man City or a Chelsea. Uh, can't go out and spend 100 million on one player. So doing these little things, if if Klopp thinks it it's going to work, then why not? Like the players all seem to um, engage fully in it, and they all want mm-hmm. to improve. So. If someone like Jurgen Klopp's telling you oh, this is going to work, it's going to make you better, then you're going, to, you're going to put your all into it. And that's a really good point, actually, about the buy-in, isn't it, James? Because you can see maybe in some other hands or some other managers or some other squads even, they would kind of turn up their nose at this kind of thing. But everybody in that Liverpool dressing room seems to be absolutely obsessed with finding any possible advantage they can. Yeah, I mean, Danny Murphy's head is exploding somewhere. <laughs> sure. but, um, but yeah, uh, 100%. Like, there's different things at work. You, you need Klopp to be on board. You need to get the right people in. And you need the players to buy into it. Yeah, it's so many 
different things work together and Liverpool have it all really in, in that regard. It's such a driven squad. Uh, it's It can almost go under the radar because obviously you had all of the you know worst title defence ever, all of that nonsense, mm-hmm. but that just because... It, it felt like you know they, they won the league and then it fell apart, but there were just so many other factors. And I think the more salient thing to look at is how they won the Champions League when they went straight back again and won the league. Like that yeah. is that tells you more about the mentality at play. There's 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 no satisfaction. Well, it's, of course, there is some satisfaction, but it's not like we are satisfied. We're done. You know, we've we've achieved what we want to do. Like they want to go again and go again. And it does, it almost doesn't matter what's driving that. Like for some people, there's going to be individual honours at play. Like mm. Sal is a team player. It's a misconception to say he's not. But of course, he's, he's chasing these individual records as well. He wants a golden boot every year. He's hit the hundred club now, but I'm sure that's been in the back of his mind for a while. Um, so yeah, it's everyone has their own personal goals, and they've bought into the team goals. And it's that combination which means it's just. It's such a driven squad. And yeah, it, mm. as Charlotte pointed out, it means that they will buy into anything that could make them just that that tiny bit better, the tiny bit that can make all the difference. And that's the perfect scenario, isn't it? Like personal goals and team goals are lying. It doesn't always have to be an either or. And one person to wrap up this show that I wanted to talk about in terms of personal goals is Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, in terms of where we can improve further still as a set piece... I do think the dead ball free kick goals is something that is something we can potentially get back. Obviously, Charlie, you mentioned before Steve Gerrard. He was someone who very much cast a shadow over this area of the pitch. Um, with Shakiri gone now, Trent's pretty much got this area to himself. And we've all seen how much he practices. I mean, do you think that is something that he is going to be telling himself, I need to start getting more goals from this scenario? Yeah, yeah, I definitely do. And with the talent he's got and with a, a ball he can strike, he should be scoring more from him. Um, where we've seen him score some some real good ones, like the one at Chelsea stands out where the ball were rolled to him. Um, and then they tried that a few times, didn't they? Like the, the roll and then emitting it. But it gives the wall too much of a chance to close him down. Um, and then he's had a couple this season where you think, oh, it's, it's perfect, but he's just not managed... That managed to get him on target. So when when you hear him talking in interviews, he is quite critical of himself. He's never mm-hmm. it's never like he's he's like he's never really satisfied with what he's done, which is a good thing because it means that he wants to improve and he probably knows he needs to improve in certain areas. So like yeah, when we had when we had Gerard and also Suarez came in and he he seemed to be whipping him in from all angles and yeah, it seemed like when them two left, we kind of dropped off a little bit in that area. Um, and I've, I'm surprised as well. We've not really seen Thiago take any, which I thought mm. I thought we'd see we'd see a few of that because he's quite invented w- with them, isn't he? No, he is, and obviously it's one the inventive side of it is something that maybe we have been lacking. Like it does seem like you can predict the kind of set plays within the set plays that we'll try to produce. Like, for example, when you have Henderson on the corner of the box, everybody knows you're going to whip it in first time to the back post. And he does it very well, and often it produces chances. But maybe we need to be a little bit less predictable, James. Maybe we need to find a new way of doing it. And maybe Thiago, as Charlotte mentioned, is the man for that. 
Yeah, potentially. Or like, you know, most of the things we've discussed on this show, maybe Van Dyke's the answer as well. I mean, <laughs> he, he took a few for Celtic and he, 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 scored, he scored one or two belters. We've not really seen it at all for Liverpool. I think he's taken one just off the top of my head. But like, it's just, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't fancy it as the wall, seeing Van Dyke coming up, <laughs> stepping up to it. Um, yeah, uh, he, he strikes the ball so cleanly and he gets so much power on it. It's If mm. it's a free kick where it's just obviously going to be a shot and there's and there's no way you can put it into the box, then he's an option. Obviously, if there's any chance of putting a delivery in there, then you're going to want him in the mixer, as the, even as just a decoy. Even if you're still planning on shooting, you need to put Van Dyke in there or it's just going to be obvious you're not you're not whipping it in. But um, yeah, it's it's an option. It's something different, isn't it? Um, ideally, you just get Trent being a bit more reliable in that sense. And I'm... Um, as Charlotte pointed out, I'm sure it's an area of his game where he's just going to be working on it and working on it. He's not going to be satisfied this season in particular. Again, yeah, it's, it's not been great. It's hit the wall far too many times. Um, it feels like he's either going to put it in the top corner or it's just going to be awful. It's not like it's not going to be close. It's either going in or it's going to be terrible. Um, and that, that feels like a practice thing. I feel like that's something you can drill and improve upon. Mm. Of course, no one's going to be able to put it in you know, top corner every time. But yeah, I do feel that's a part of his game where he, he can improve it and there's a clear path on how to do it. So he'll he'll be putting that work in, I'm sure. But um, yeah, there's there's definitely something to be said about being a bit more inventive, a bit less predictable. And there, I mean, it's such a high quality squad. I mean, I'm sure any of them on their day could take the perfect free kick because it's just a very technical ball playing squad. I don't think there's anyone who I think there's just no chance. Like, why have we put them over the free kick? I mean, maybe one or two. Um, like, it, I, I, it would raise eyebrows if Matic was standing over it, put it that way. But um, I'd love it. I'd be here for it. But um, but yeah. Um, you know what? Like, I, I love Joel Matip with everything I have, but that is probably one time where I might have to step in and say, look, mate, I know <laughs> you've got the faculties for this one, big man. Exactly. Genuinely. Like, he, he he's one of those players who he seems to melt when he gets within six or seven yards of goal. And I'm not, I don't, I feel almost um, cheap mentioning it because he's so wonderful in everything else. But yes, I think if Virgil's taking a free kick, then we're going to have to look at different options in it. <laughs> for sure. But this is almost the perfect scenario, the way we've discussed it over the last half an hour. This is something that Liverpool do better than every other team in the league. And yet there is still so much room for improvement. I think it's one of the things that we can potentially get excited about, especially, as I mentioned at the top of the show, if being great at set pieces really is the title indicator it has been over the last two years. I want to give another shout out to Andrew Beasley. Please read everything he writes. Find him on Twitter, Base Tuned to Red. Sorry, Base Tuned to Dead. I always get that mixed up. But I think it is red. Is it red? Like it's red? I feel like it's red. You know what? I can literally look right now. <laughs> the wonders of the internet. Stay tuned, everybody. No, you're right. I was right the first time. It is based tuned to red. Now, the reason why I get confused is because it's named after a Super Furry Animals song, of which he and I are both very much fans. So, there you go. Lots of homework for you. Check out Super Furry Animals, find Andrew Beasy on Twitter, and watch Liverpool score plenty of set-piece goals and hopefully lift the trophy. James, Charlotte, thank you as ever. 